Hi, and welcome to Firsties with Reba and Ross. I'm Ross. I'm Reba. And today we're covering more episodes of the Venture Brothers. Uh, we've got Tag Sale, You're It, and Home Insecurity. Both very good episodes. You liked them both? I did. Good. I well, well, should we start with Tag Sale, You're It? Let's start. Is there anything you wanted to open with, or uh, uh, should I take it? <laughs> you take it and run with it. Okay. Oh. Well, you know, I always start these episodes with some talk on, like, character development. And this this episode, I thought, was a little heavier on, like, universe development yeah. than, like, the the central yeah. characters. There's there's a lot of new new characters who show up frequently from this point on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for one thing, there's uh, 20, Henchman 21 and Henchman 24, right. who are the ones in the car, and they're kind of like your insight into the Henchman from this point on in the show. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they show up again in Home Insecurity. Yep. Yeah, they um, I think they might be in every episode from here on that the monarch appears in. Oh, or at, cool. at least this season. Yeah. And uh yeah, they, there's a lot of development with them down the road. But uh yeah, it's it's kind of fun. You already get a little bit of characterization, especially with 21 as, you know, the kind of geeky one. Yeah. Which one which one's the the bigger one? I it, so I used to always get these confused. 21 is the chubby guy, okay. and 24 is the skinny guy. So 21's yeah. the one who bought the lightsaber. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like a dream yeah. of his. Um, yeah, he. we were talking about Venture Brothers at work yesterday, uh-huh. and uh, one of my coworkers mentioned 21 uh-huh. in it. What did he uh, say? I don't remember. I just know that he <laughs> liked... That he mentioned like, him. Cause like no, that one's twenty one, right? He's like the big guy that. Like, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, they they give him quite a bit of development as it goes on, but yeah, so twenty one, twenty four show up. Uh, Baron Underbite, who we've seen a lot in the opening credits, shows up for the first time in Tag Sale. You're it. But I uh, like I wonder if this is my thought. When I saw him show up, I I knew that he was gonna be Ventures' arch nemesis. Uh huh. And I wonder how I would have reacted had I not known that. I was thinking about that when we were when I was. So how? Uh, what? Like, what do you mean? Because I, uh, the rest of the characters I we saw, I I thought, eh, you know, they're new characters, new uh-huh. villains. Um, but him, I like looked at like a little bit more. I paid a little bit more attention to because I thought. Okay, I know he's the villain, so what's he going to do in this episode? Like, yeah. how's he going to, what's he going to do to venture? Yeah, you well, know? he shows up in the opening credits every week, too. Yeah. Uh, he uh, did, but, well, but before I now, know, yeah, but, he hasn't really had a part in the show. But, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't really notice, you know, like, now that I've, now that I see it, I just don't pay attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean. But, yeah, it, he doesn't play as big a role in this one, I guess, but the next episode, there will obviously be a little more with him. Uh, uh, also, Phantom Lim shows up. He's yeah. the guy with the invisible arms and legs mm-hmm. who uh, seems to have a history with Dr. Girlfriend. Yes. Which is, again, something that gets elaborated on a lot more as it continues. But cool. for this episode, yeah, you just get the indication that they had something... Something more than just, you know, <laughs> yeah. him respecting her. But he does seem to respect her as an actual villain. Right, because, well, I have that in my notes, that he offers to be her number two. Right. In there. Like, he knows that she's 
got what it takes to be a villain on her own. Mm-hmm. But. So yeah, you're you're getting a little just all these hints of backstory that I really like in this episode. Yeah. Like they're they're clearly thinking thinking about characters, mm-hmm. their pasts, where they're going, and just setting the stage for a lot of that before like mm-hmm. really delving into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another character who isn't named or really like there's there's nothing around him in the episode, but he's there mm-hmm. is uh, Augustus Saint Cloud, who is. Uh, Baron Underbite attacks, or like who kicks over or whatever, or kicks wings oh, over. Yeah, the yeah. guy with the red hair and the glasses. Yeah. He is uh, later on Billy Quizboy's arch nemesis. Okay, okay. <laughs> Billy Quizboy and uh, Pete White show up again this time. Yes. They haven't been seen since uh, the pilot. I had to Google their names. Yeah, yeah. Today. Yeah, Pete White, I always forget for some reason, but Billy Quizboy is really. Yeah. <laughs> He's, yeah, his is easy to remember once you know his backstory because he's a quiz boy. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, they they have a lot of you know fun commentary, and they're the first characters in the show up to this point to actually point out Doctor Girlfriend's manliness. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like up like, until now, that's there, just a weird thing about the show and her there character. There was um, Dean in one of the previous episodes made some comment about her deep voice. Yeah, that's right. You're right. But that was all. It was just like kind of a passing thing, and they kind of took it a little bit further. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Then he uh, he buys a shrink ray in this episode too, which is something that shows up later in the series. Like they're. <laughs> There's oh, all sorts okay, of, yeah. there are all these like little details in this one that's like, oh, that's cool. That was, even if they didn't know where that was going, they're right. starting to, or that plays out in some way later on. Uh, uh, even, even some of the background characters are kind of neat. Like Professor Impossible doesn't have any lines or anything. He's just kind of there in the background. Where, who was he? He is the, uh, he's like the equivalent of Mr. Fantastic of Fantastic Four or Reed Richards. <gasps> right, yeah. He can like okay. stretch and move around. And he's there. Yeah. He's just not really involved in the story for the most part and uh yeah obviously professor orpheus and triana show up again i loved i love professor orpheus in this episode yeah so let's talk professor orpheus (laughs) uh he seems so disappointed that he doesn't have an arch nemesis yeah a big part of what this episode is focused around is the way that like you know heroes or scientists or whatever and villains work in this world the yeah. idea that yeah, people have their own nemesis, or you know that that counterpoint counterpart, you know, is kind of like a mutually beneficial thing in a way. Right. Where like if you're a hero, then it gives you some sort of clout that you have a villain, and yeah, yeah. villains have someone they can target. Like, <laughs> yeah. they, even if they're failures, like you know, Rusty and the Monarch, like the fact that they're kind of counterparts, like <laughs> helps both of their, I guess yeah. you know, raises their stature a little bit. Right. But yeah, I, I like that he, pretty much his whole motivation this episode is to start trouble because he wants a villain, or he wants his yeah. own arch nemesis. I, I love him, like, setting uh, the monarch's feet on fire, <laughs> just yeah. just as, like, you know, the way that you'd approach somebody at a convention to be, to try to, like, get their attention and be like, hey, you know, this yeah. is me, except, you know, just being a jerk, and yeah, right. I like the monarch's, like, kind of half-assed you dick <laughs> response yeah. when he does it <laughs> yeah it's good stuff oh yeah they delve into that kind of relationship a lot in this one too just with the monarch and dr girlfriend and you know sneaking into the house and yeah 
uh, both, you know, wanting wanting to do something to venture, you know, like I, mm. I like the monarch uh, using his bathroom and yelling out, "I'm not gonna flush! Let them see the wrath of the monarch!" Yeah. <laughs> like that's really all he can do to him, and he admits yeah. he feels bad when he sees Rusty's lab. Yeah, it's just, it just feels bad. Yeah, I th- he calls yeah. it a museum of failure. <laughs> oh. Which, you know, like, yeah. coming from the monarch is kind of a funny thing, too. Since right. We've seen how incompetent he is, but, but I like... Well, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I love, though, that, like, when he's in the lab, Venture, um, like, he sends Brock to go check it out, but when he realizes that it's the monarch, he's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, they don't they don't take him very seriously. Yeah. And Brock especially... I like the way that Brock is set up in this episode, and it's kind of continuing his evolution as, as a character from early on, where, like, mm-hmm. he was kind of set up initially as, you know, just kind of a madman, or just, like, a right. crazed, violent guy, and, like, yeah. in this, he's he's very composed, he's a professional. Right. they open on the, the secret agents, and you don't know what you're getting into, right. and Brock is there, like, directing them all, getting them in place, and... and like very professional, very, com- very composed. Like, right. You know, and then you find out it's yard sale but... <laughs> that they're all prepared for. Yeah. But you know, they have all sorts of villains there. Right. <laughs> right. And he right. he mentions uh, at one point, yeah, that Rusty's selling like death rays and things. Right. Like <laughs> he's he's like the one that's like on edge because of all of these villains and and ventures just sitting back like. Relax. And yeah, I love that. I had that. I, I wrote that quote down. I was like, you have an entire table for cheap death ray guns. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, they, they definitely draw attention to that. I like that the lightsaber, because, you know, that's another thing that in theory would be a crazy thing to sell. Oh, yeah. But it, then it's, it's it's really harmless. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little laser yeah. thing. Uh, and I like the little Star Wars kid reference that they have there too, where uh, Twenty One starts flailing around like it, which is it's almost exactly like that Star Wars kid video from YouTube years ago. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I and remember the, the kid I in would, the club, <laughs> or, yeah, like in the, the little video in, room with his like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember the, I saw that on another reference on the internet somewhere. Oh uh, okay. That like I was like Star Wars. Yeah. Now you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> now you remember. <laughs> but yeah, yeah the, let's see what else was in this episode. There was the the little uh, subplot with Hank and the grinders and lemonade stand that he's running. Yeah. And uh, Dean working for him for a little while, and Triana kind of taking the place with helper and stuff. Yeah. Which you know kind of continues all the stuff with Hank being uh, it, being kind of the more assertive of the two boys but you know not really like competent yeah i can see that i think Um, that's most of what i had well then dr girlfriend tries to break up with the monarch that's that's a big thing that's something that and then they like that's in the lab and then they get interrupted because she they get attacked and they're for a brief moment the monarch is doing something like actually worthy of Dr. Girlfriend. Right. You know? And she's just like laying on the ground, like looking up at him, like watching him defend her and like yeah. actually like kind of kind of changes her mind about it. But then you see at the end, 
Like when they're still hanging in the lab. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, yeah like just that whole like uh that's that's true up until now you know they've been setting her up as someone who really really is invested in their relationship so you're seeing that there's a little bit more question with that and especially yeah. right after phantom limb approached her right well, she might I, be having some doubts yeah that's about all i had i tried to write down some of the hank and dean stuff but yeah it yeah. was that was the smaller part of the episode really like yeah. it was kind of a subplot to everything else and yeah. it, it is a it's kind of a weird episode because like most of the action just happens because dr orpheus wants uh henchman like there, right. it's not a real plot heavy episode no there's a lot going on around it too so should we move on to uh the next one sure yeah so so next is a uh, home insecurity yeah which is another fun episode that uses some of the the characters that they introduced last time uh specifically baron underbite uh it opens up with uh him and i guess a room of you know people he's worked with before like uh like girl hitler and oh, eight yeah. ball and, <laughs> and he kills all them which is why i was like i don't remember these characters that well yeah but i i just oh, I, I like girl hitler for some reason that's just funny <laughs> i know i was gonna ask you about about her uh-huh. and, yeah, because it's like this is a great character. This would have been fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, they they just die, <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't really go that far there. But uh, yeah, uh, and Eight Ball is just a funny gag character too. Right. So uh, this this one there's it's about the Venture Compound being under attack by both the Monarch and Baron Underbite simultaneously while Brock is on sabbatical. Yes. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of this one? Um, I thought it gave a lot of good character development with relation to, like, or, like, their relationships, like, with people, like, showing, showing how dependent Rusty is on Samson, on Brock. Right. You know, with that whole, he has to build a, a completely new invention to, just to, like, protect the house while, while Brock is gone, because he doesn't think there, anything can right protect them and i like that uh that ends up giving helper a little subplot (laughs) where he feels inadequate and runs away briefly right (laughs) has to come back and help them yeah has to save the day right um this one uh if if anybody got uh new development i would think it i don't know there's not a lot of brand new development like the relationship with adventure and brock or adventure yeah and brock uh, is a little bit little bit stronger after this but yeah like they they differentiate the venture brothers a little bit because you know you continue to see hank as being kind of like brock's protege yeah he tries to go away with him right and uh you see dean as you know kind of the sensitive one who cries over the idea that uh you know hank is the man of the house (laughs) while uh brock's gone and pees himself at the security robot and stuff (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah uh but yeah, and Brock is... I, well, go ahead. Um, I mean, you do get more back, more backstory with Underbite, because you find out that he and Venture used to be lab partners. That's true, And that's, yeah. like, he's... So, Rusty is the reason he became the Underbite. Right, yeah. Know? And that's something that's not mentioned a lot on there, but it's, it's true. Yeah. He is, like, more of a reason to actually be 
Rusty's nemesis, then Venture. Or and not then Venture, the then Monarch. Uh, the Monarch, yeah. Yeah. I liked to see that um, Underbite and the Monarch were, like, working together on, mm-hmm. like, destroying Venture. Right. I liked, And I liked the he- dynamic of the henchmen, too. Like, they're both... Or the henchmen like, for... Uh, Underbite and the Monarch are both there trying to kill Rusty at the same time and yeah. ultimately just kind of get fed up. <laughs> right, and it's something, like, I loved how, I loved the contrast between the the henchmen, the, the ones in, the, in Underworld are required from, like, what is it? Like <laughs> yeah. 17 uh, I, to 37 I wrote that or down. Yeah, we're required to work for Underbite from 12 to 37. Or, yeah. At 38, we are executed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's really just their whole life. That's yeah. all they ever do. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, the the monarch, 21, was it, tw- it was 21, that was like, you guys just pick me up on the side of the road or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, not a lot of qualifications for being... One of the monarchs henchmen. Yeah, but yeah, so it's kind of fun. You get to see all them playing together, and they get you know continue playing with uh, twenty one and twenty four mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, what, so what do you think of Brock's subplot in this episode? Oh, yeah, that's the one. I've seen this episode before. Had you? Yes. Okay. Randomly, way before we met. Yeah. I it was. Um, I think this is one of the episodes that I may have watched with my cousin, who was 13 years younger than me. <laughs> yeah. And I was, like, maybe 23 at the time. Uh-huh. So he's, I'm watching it with this 10-year-old kid, and there's this, the Brock, Brock's subplot <laughs> with, with... With Steve with, Summers. The, uh, and the Sasquatch. And it's like... Why are, why, no, you should not be watching this, kid. <laughs> this is such a weird, crazy thing. If you only got what they were joking about. Well, and I like that, uh, uh, I think it's funny that a show like this can just change the last name of a person or a character and basically get away with taking whatever they want. Like, yeah. because, you know, the $6 million man is Steve Austin, so they just changed his name to Steve Summers. Otherwise, like, he's wearing the same outfit. He has the same slow motion effect and sound effect. Yeah. It, there's Bigfoot or Sasquatch, either way, uh, which is a famous thing from that series. There's that, there's a Bigfoot episode. Oh, I didn't Or a know few that. Bigfoot episodes. So, yeah, it's playing off of $6 million man story arcs and pretending he left and, you know, fell in love with Bigfoot. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like that, uh... Well, there there are a lot of just goofy jokes on that, like uh, when they're leaving and uh, Brock has them disguised, and uh, the well, first of all, the the agents, you know, rec- one of them recognizing what's going on, saying, "Dude, that was just a shaved Bigfoot and Steve Summers in a wig made of shaved Bigfoot hair," and. Uh, uh, that Brock, you know, didn't know that Bigfoot was a man until yeah. then. And like sometimes, somehow, that's weirder to Brock. Like, like yeah. it wasn't already weird enough that right, Steve but... Summers and Bigfoot. Are yeah, in a like if, if if Bigfoot was a girl, then yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Bigfoot the man. That's it, yeah. yeah, just the idea that you know he basically is on the run from the government because it takes a very very long time to pay off a six million dollar. Uh, debt you? on a government salary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, it was a pretty good episode. I uh, 
Another thing that I liked about this one that I think they were setting up for the future uh, is the idea that Dean ends up in a part of the lab that he didn't know existed. Oh. He mentions that, yeah, he wasn't aware of that area. So there are parts of the Venture compound that are kind of off limits to the Venture brothers. Really? Yeah. Oh, that'll be interesting. Uh, But yeah, anything else you... You had on this? Um, I don't think so. I think we hit everything. I think they still. Oh, I guess they're expanding on the monarch, monarch and Doctor Girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know, but something's up there. Yeah, which I already know that. You do now. You you I mean, know some things from the future of the show I, that you I, might have spoiled. <laughs> I know, but. They're already spoiled for me, so... Okay. Well, I can just, like, bleep out a word there. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, that was pretty much what I had. I, I There was just some stuff I wrote down that I thought was funny. <laughs> like, I liked uh, the idea that girl Hitler responds like, Oh, a tiger bomb! Yeah. Uh, like, just the, the idea that not only would a villain get a tiger to attack them... But he would strap a bomb onto but it. But I love the the way he told them that they're basically that they're gonna get destroyed, killed. Is he gives them actual tiger balm? <laughs> right, like, right. Like, oh, tiger, tiger balm. Right. Oh, yeah. Tiger it makes bomb. like <laughs> like it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So that was funny, and I liked the little, <laughs> that Rusty lactates under extreme stress. And <laughs> Some men lactate. <laughs> I liked Hank's response, too, after Dean wet himself. It's like, hey, Dean <laughs> lactates, too. Oh, the show makes, I like it more and more. Oh, good. Time. Good. I hope, hope you like it's... the next few, uh, I think. Uh, the next one is Ghosts. Ghosts of Sargasso, which a lot is... A lot of people state that as one of their favorite episodes of okay. the first season, especially. And then uh, Ice Station Impossible, which I don't remember quite as well. Uh, but yeah, that's what we'll cover next week. All right. Uh, and we'll catch you all then. See ya.